welcome to Awaken Podcast. I hope you enjoy the teaching. Uh, a couple things before we jump in. If you need a Bible, uh, there are our Bibles back here. And if you like to knit, that's over there. Um, so, happy Mother's Day, yeah? How about it for all the moms out there? Yes, yes. My mom's actually here this morning, so <clears throat> thanks, Mom, for, you know, me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> we were joking earlier, like, how awkward I could if I were to keep going down this, how awkward it would get really quickly. So I'm going to stop right there and, uh, and just say, um, in all seriousness, we want to celebrate moms. And um, it's always a hard, hard day in some ways because we recognize that uh, for some, Mother's Day is not uh, a very happy day and uh, for an, any number of different reasons. And so while we celebrate moms, we also you know, want to recognize and stand with and, and in solidarity um, with those that maybe that's been your experience um, so as much as we can, uh, we're with you. Um, and then also, uh, just one note that uh, as we were talking as a team, um, so Awaken is, is growing a little bit here and there, and uh, the, um, the need for people to get involved is, is growing as well. So obviously we've gone to two gatherings. Uh, if, if, by the way, you didn't know, we're going to go back to one for summer, so June 10th, that'll switch back. Um, but uh, be that as it may, lots of different ways for people to get involved from setup and teardown to tech stuff to lights to computer people, music, counting, nursery, kids, everywhere. There's lots of stuff to do. So if this is your home and you haven't um, connected in that way yet and want to serve in some way, um, know that that's available and uh, we want to always keep that out so people can't, well, often people say, I, I didn't know, right? I, I, nobody asked and I didn't know. So this is me asking and me letting you know. Um, so if you want to get involved in that, there's a way you can sign up online or talk to myself or one of the other pastoral staff people or leaders. If you know them, that'd be great. So <clears throat> is that cool? Okay. First John chapter three. So open uh, there if you would. And uh, we have a great, we have a really, really um, interesting passage this morning that we're going to study. Um, so I'm going to ask you to stand and I'm going to, uh, I'm going to read this and then we will jump in because there is a lot to cover here. So <clears throat> 1 John 3, starting in verse 4, says this, Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins, and in him is no sin. No one who lives in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has either seen him or knows him. Dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. He who does what is right is righteous, just as he is righteous. And he who does what is sinful is of the devil, because the devil has been sinning, not singing, sinning, sinning from the beginning. The reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the devil's work. No one who is born of God will continue to sin, because God's seed remains in him. He cannot go on sinning, because he has been born of God. This is how we know who the children of God are, and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not a child of God, nor is anyone who does not love his brother. Pray with me if you would. God of creation, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, uh, I pray that today you would awaken our souls, our hearts, our eyes um, to your presence. God, we recognize that's already here, but we, like Jacob, um, say Surely the Lord is in this place, and we are not aware of it sometimes. And so, God, today we bring all that we are. We ask that you might move, that you might move in us and for us and with us. 
Um, God, while we're tempted uh, to, to keep some of the parts of our heart um, secret, we want to resist that temptation. And we give you freedom to roam and meander in the corridors of our heart. Um, God, we love you. We trust you. Today, we want to receive from you. So we pray in your name. Amen. You can have a seat. So, uh, really tricky passage. And uh, quite honestly, there has been a lot, a lot, a lot of ink spilled on this passage. Um, because as you read it, right, some things kind of surface that are pretty obvious, pretty bold claims that John is making. And so people have written a ton about this passage and how to interpret it. And I'll, and I'll shoot straight with you. There's a lot of different percep- uh, um, ideas and interpretations of what John's actually saying here. So I'm going to take a crack at it today, um, but while I do that, I want you to just keep in mind that a lot, a lot, a lot of people have written about this, and a lot, a lot of people have different opinions about it. So if you don't like mine, you could probably find another one somewhere else, because it's probably been written about, um, all joking aside. Uh, now, some might say I'm a little foolish to even take a crack at this anyways, because of my non, you know, uh, I have a master's degree, I know a little bit of Greek, um, but... I was the second of five boys, never one to back down from a challenge, right, mom, right, never one to back down, never one to back down, so if you tell me what to do or how to do it, I'll tell you no or prove you wrong, or or if I can't do it, you know, so never one to back down from a challenge, and so today, uh, in, in my life, that's been a blessing and a curse, I'm hoping that it's the former, not the latter for us today. So as we jump in, two things that kind of jump off the page right at the beginning here as we, as we kind of look at this. Number one is, John seems to be offering the possibility of sinless perfectionism, right? That we can live and that we should, actually. If you follow Jesus, you don't sin. That's, that's just like straightforward. It's right there in the text. Which, if you're, if you're anything like me, I mean, just last year, uh, I sinned. And uh, so I'm, I'm kind of, you know... I'm screwed, right? I mean, what do I do with this passage? It's not not cool. Um, So that's what John seems to be offering. Second, what kind of rises to the surface is if you've been paying attention this series, you'll notice, or you might remember, that John's actually completely and utterly contradicting himself in chapter 3. If you flip back to chapter 1 in verse 8, he says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So which is it, John? I mean, make up your mind, right? Either we're sinful and, and, and if we don't, and we don't think so, the truth isn't in us. And then he goes on to say, and you make God out to be a liar. Or in this passage where John says, essentially, no one who lives in him keeps on sinning. Like, which is it, right? One or the other. It's, it's binary. You got to make a choice. So if... If John isn't offering sinless perfectionism by, by you know, those in the room, I think we can ag- agree that that's not happening, at least in this community, maybe in others, I don't know. But if that's not what he's offering, and, and in fact he isn't contradicting himself, then that's not necessarily uh, on the surface. So let's start digging, okay? First you'll know, or you have to remember, that whenever you study the scriptures, whenever you study a book of the Bible, and you want to interpret it, context, 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 right? Real estate agents say what? Location, 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 right? If you're going to study the Bible, I would submit context, context, context. Always, always start there. It's very, very important. So what do we know about John? We know that some people, excuse me, We know that there has been some kind of split in this community or in these communities that John's writing to. We know that some people have gone out from these communities and are teaching some kind of gospel or some kind of version of the gospel that is not in line with John and the apostles regarding Jesus. 
We know that already. We know that there are a couple of theological issues and concerns that kind of rise to the surface. We started here. John talks about the eternal nature of Jesus. He talks about the humanity of Jesus, the divinity of Jesus, some very crucial things about who is this guy and what did he do? One of them, if we're paying attention in this one that surfaces, is the issue of sin, right? At least for John, in this book, sin is a big deal. Uh, It's a big issue. And um, I want to submit that while this is a really big issue and this is a really big deal for John, uh, I want to challenge us a little bit because what's not helpful for us is for us to approach the text from a, like if, if this is history starting at the beginning and going this way, it's not helpful to approach the text looking back through the Reformation, through Luther, through Calvin, through Paul and Romans to look at John and interpret sin. Do you understand what I'm saying? John didn't set out to write a doctrine of sin. That's not what's on John's mind. He didn't write to to talk about homardiology, which is the study of sin or the doctrine of sin. That's not on John's radar. What is on John's radar is context, culture, specific people who are dealing with something very specific in their time and in their space. So while while sin is a big deal for John, I want to say that maybe some of our traditions, um, uh, let me get there in a second, uh, sin in the scriptures, let me just give you kind of a, an overarching um, kind of view of it. In the gospels, on average, the word sin is used about 10 times, give or take a couple times per gospel, okay? Uh, the, the book that has the most usage of sin, any guesses? Come on. N- not John. John's pretty, he, comparatively, like per capita, it's, it's a lot. But the most use of sin in any book in the New Testament is Romans, Right? This is Paul. This is, this is the reformed, like, canon, okay? Um, so 39 times Paul uses sin in Romans. Hebrews is 24, which is also really high. The rest of Paul's letters, on average, it's about two times per letter. And John, in this, in this first John, he uses it 12 times. So comparatively, if the Gospels have 20 plus chapters and John has five, John uses the word sin four times more, four to five times more than the Gospel writers do. So for John, it's a big issue. On the whole, you should know in the scriptures that sin is not the most talked about topic in the Bible. Um, Actually, money is way more talked about by Jesus than sin. Uh, And a number of others kind of rise above that. Here's why I bring this up. I want to make sure, and I want to recognize that we have a lot of different people in the room who come from different traditions, okay? Our traditions offer us a particular lens that we read the scriptures through. So, for example, the, the Protestant Reformation and those who may come from a Reformed tradition, Paul is, is, is a really big deal. And so often, we read even the Gospels through Paul. Now, I'm not, I'm not saying this is good nor bad. I think it comes with strengths and weaknesses. But we should know that sin is not the most important thing on John's radar. It's not the most important thing in the New Testament for Some of us come from traditions that didn't read the Gospels that way or don't read the Scripture that way. They read it through a different lens. All that to say, I think one of the beautiful things at Awaken is that we're trying to create a space where people from different traditions can come together and we can value one another's tradition and background and perspective and we can recognize the strengths and the weaknesses and we can learn from one another. So I wanted to just throw that out there before we jump into this text on sin because I think that's kind of important to say. Um... Either way you cut it, either whatever tradition you come from, I don't think you can read this text, 1 John, and say that, at least for John, sin is an important issue. So, 
Context is really important. We've, we've done that. Now, as we interpret this passage, um, this is going to be a little bit more heady than normal. And I'm going to ask you to stick with me. There's going to be four key words that I want to unpack. And I'm really not going to do anything else other than unpack these four words. Because when you understand these four words, I think this text just starts to blossom. I think it starts to come to life. And I think we begin to see it in a light that maybe John was looking or, or writing it from. That's my hope, at least. So four key words. They are these words. They're all Greek, so stick with me again. Poeo, which is translated to do or make or practice. So kind of two different categories, how you might translate to do or to make or practice. Uh, second word is hamartia, which is the Greek word for sin. Uh, the, the, de- the meaning of this is really to miss the mark, essentially. Um, anomia or is translated lawlessness, and this one is the, this is the key okay, to understanding this passage. And then lastly, uh, Greek word sperma, which is translated seed. So let's take these in order. No laughing at the last one, if you would, please. That was a junior high joke. So poeo is the first one. I used to be a junior high youth pastor. Poeo, the first one. To do or to make or practice. Kind of two schools of thought as to how you might interpret this word. This is shown most fully and most starkly as you look at the NIV and the NASB. So I'm going to put both of them up on the screen. The first one's going to be, before we do that, uh, first is going to be NIV, then NASB. But the, tr- the word or the phrase that's being translated is poeo kai hamardia, right? So here's how it's translated in the NIV, if you want to put that one up there for me. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness, and then he goes on, dear children, do not let anyone lead you astray. Okay, so everyone who sins breaks the law. That's the, that's poeo translated to do, right? Now, here's how the NASB renders it, and I think this, this opens the whole thing up, right? Everyone who practices sin also practices lawlessness. To do or to make or practice. Same word, But how you translate it begins to unpack or, I think, pull some of the strings on the rest of the text. Now, if we translate it, if we translate poeo, practice, instead of does, I think we get a very different feel for the verse. And instead of this static, individual uh, action that one participates in or doesn't participate in, right? It's black, it's white, it's either, it's or, it's dynamic. It, It doesn't move, or I'm sorry, it's static. So if we do that we get a very different reading. But if we tap into this practice idea of poeo, then, then, then you open up the idea of like an attitude or a, a, a disposition, a posture, one, a, a way in which one sort of lives, a place from which a person lives, right? You get a very different uh, idea. So here's a definition of practice that I think will also help out. Practice, to participate with the intent to do fully. I love this. Rehearsing a behavior over and over for the purpose of improving or mastering. Now, each time John uses this word, it's the same word, and it's always a verb. It's always an action word. So the question that I think is absolutely watershed here on this word is is this. Is John speaking of individual actions, or is is he trying to get at something else? Is he talking about me when I sin and I break the law? Is that what he's getting at, or is he getting at something else? Maybe you could say it differently. Is John's primary concern the sins and actions of individuals, or is his referent, when he says sin, something else? Keep that thought in mind. We'll keep going here, but we'll come back to that. 
Hamartia, this next Greek word, it means to, or it's translated sin and it means to miss the mark. Every time the word sin appears in this text, the word is hamartia. It's the most commonly used word in the New Testament for sin. Interestingly, not necessarily connected, totally connected to this, but I think fascinating, the Old Testament word for sin is hate. It's a Hebrew word and it also means to miss the mark. So Greek and Hebrew equivalent, pretty good translation or, or connection of the two. Hate and hamartia both mean to miss the mark. Now, Torah, on the other hand, Torah, which of course is the first five books of the Bible, also means teaching. The root word for Torah, now get this, the root word for Torah means to cast an object towards a target. So to, to follow Torah, to, to be on Torah, to live on Torah or for Torah is to cast an object towards a target. And hate, sin, is to miss the target. Very, very interesting. A little Hebrew play on words there. So, hamartia, to sin, miss the mark. Okay? Poeo, hamartia. Now, this is the one I think unlocks this whole thing. Anomia. It's translated lawlessness. Now, what's important here is we, that we don't understand lawlessness as this kind of, um, I break the law and therefore I'm a lawless person. Or I transgress the law that is not at all what John is getting at. In fact, nowhere in any of John's other writing does he use this word and mean that. Do you want to know, do you want to know how I know that? This is the only time John uses this word anomia. It is the only time. It's called the hapex legomena. It just translates used only once. Anytime this happened in ancient literature, whether it be biblical, Greek, doesn't matter. This is a big deal. So when an author uses one word only once... And in this text, when he, tra- or he connects it to sin, this is a big deal, right? Because John essentially says, um, anyone who practices sin is, is lawless because sin equals lawlessness in the first verse of the text, verse 4. So if we, can't, if we don't understand lawless, which John equates sin to, we have no chance of understanding what he's getting at, right? So how we understand lawless is absolutely critical, and I w- I'll submit again. It is not, I'm a lawbreaker. I, as an individual, break the law. Okay, that's not what he's getting at. So what is he getting at? Let's get to that. In the Septuagint, which is uh, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, two different times, anomia is used to translate a Hebrew word, belial. Now, this word comes from two words, um, Bali and Yaal, which sounds like a kind of you know, bad southern thing going on, Yaal. But Bali means failure, and Yaal means meaning to be valuable. So these two words combined, it's a term like, that's used to scorn someone's meaning. It's a term that's used to sort of talk about somebody who wastes their worth. Okay? Now, the word in the Old Testament that the, that the Septuagint is translating, anomia, was used to describe people who were rebellious or lawless. So they were rebellious or in opposition to God. In the New Testament, it's used once by Paul in 2 Corinthians, and it's used to translate, or it's another, another name for, guess who? Satan. So Belial in the New Testament is used by Paul in 2 Corinthians to talk about Satan. Okay? So keep this in mind. Lawless, rebellious, kind of in opposition to, used as a name for Satan. And then Matthew in the Gospel, he's one of the only Gospel writers that uses this word, Every time he uses it, it refers to false prophets and those who oppose God's kingdom. Okay? So all of this stuff, John is connecting lawlessness to. 
Okay? He's not saying, I break the law, therefore I'm lawless. He's connecting sin equals lawlessness to rebellion, opposition to those who oppose God's kingdom. Does anybody remember Lane's teaching a couple weeks ago? Does this sound at all like what John calls antichrists? This is exactly who he's talking about. So lawless doesn't mean a transgression of the law. Rather, John's tapping into opposition to God, opposition to the kingdom, rebellion against God, just like the rebellion and opposition that Satan exper- or, or participates in. So when John equates sin to lawlessness, this is the definition that I think we should be working with, not this one where it's individual lawbreaker, I break the law, law court system, that kind of an idea. We're tapping into a very, very big, uh, or I should say a much bigger understanding of the word here. One more word before we go back and kind of try to understand this, pa- this passage. Uh, this last word, sperma. So we have uh, poeo, hamartia, anomia, and sperma. Of course, this, this is a great word. This is where we get our, our English word, sperm. And uh, uh, of course, there are biological and sexual connections that we immediately make. But I think when we do that, we run into some pretty significant metaphysical problems in the text and some ontological problems in the text. Like, we have a lot of problems if we, if we translate this word like that. I think John goes beyond that. I think John actually offers something very different here. And I think it has some more to do with seed, like plants and seeds. Right? I have a, a garden that I've been working in. Uh, last couple years ago, we started it. And I, I have had a horrible, like an absolute train wreck of a time with my my seeds this year. The first go around, I planted seeds. I had some leftover uh, potting soil, and I think there was mold in it or something, because then all of the seeds, all the plants that I started, all got this little cake of mold on the top. They sprouted, they did great, and then they turned gray, and they all died. Now, the second time, I said, you know, okay, let's start with new potting soil, get the little peat moss sponge guys that come up, start everything, everything sprouts, I've got it all working out, you know, I'm great, okay, let's bring these things outside, let's harden them, Set them outside in my little fenced-off garden. Hailstorm. <clears throat> How do you like that? Totally smashed to pieces. But in the process, I absolutely am fascinated by seeds. Have you guys ever tried to plant rosemary seeds? They are absolutely microscopic. I mean, there are, you put them in your hand, and there's like hundreds of them. They are so tiny. They're these little inanimate objects that when you plant them in the right place and you give them the right things, they actually what? They like come to life. So inside these little tiny inanimate objects is the potential for something brand new. The potential for something to come alive. John uses this word seed. And I want to hone in on and hone in on that. Seed in its simplest sense is potential. Right? It's, it's the potential for something. It's, it's something that has the possibility of becoming something more than it is, or greater, or larger than it is. Given the right soil, the right you know, energy from the sun, all of this. Here's a, here's a, a definition of seed from, from a lexicon. It says this. The seed, i.e., the grain or kernel which contains within itself the germ of future plants of the grain or kernel sown. Let me say that again. The grain or kernel which contains within itself the germ of future, future plants or the seed that it was sown from. Does this sound eerily familiar to anything we've talked about so far? Come on. Huh? I heard it over here. Tim, you got it. No? I thought I heard you say it. Genesis 1, 11, 
tov, right? What God calls good. Look at what Genesis 1.11 says. Let the land produce vegetation, seed-bearing plants, trees on the land that bear fruit and seed in it, according to their various kinds. And it was so. The land produced vegetation, plants bearing seed according to their kinds, and the trees bearing fruit with seed in it according to their time, kinds. And God saw that it was good. So, John uses this word, sperma, and he means seed. So we have these four key words, right? We have what we translate uh, poeo, to do, to make, or practice, sin, hamartia, anomia, lawlessness, and now this last word, sperma. Now here's what I want to do as we kind of, I want to wrap this up, and I want to do it in maybe a bit non-traditional way. There's an, there's an ancient practice called targum in Judaism where the rabbis would essentially tell the story between the stories, they would, t- they would essentially read between the lines, right? So if you get a story in the text and there's kind of some details that are left out, the rabbis took liberty, and this wasn't like, you know, happenstance, everybody had a couple drinks and then people just started writing. It was like an art form that they would use to interpret what's not in the text. And there are, there are, there are um, you know, um, volumes of this. Uh, where the, the rabbis have done this. And so what I want to do this morning is, based on what we've understood of these four words and how we've talked about them, I want to retranslate this verse. And I hope that as I do, the things that John is really getting at begin to come to life for us. Because when we read it just translated as I read it, I think it's tricky and problematic at best. So when we understand some of the words, and I recognize, gang, that this is um, uh, what, what we're doing this morning like, is not accessible to everybody. This is my wife always, uh, Laura, she, she gets so frustrated sometimes when I start doing this. She's, she's like, so what, you, like, okay, why bother, right? Why even read the Bible? What chance do I have of getting that? And I, I always tell her, well, not much. Um, <laughs> but here's why it's important. Here's why I would encourage us. Number one, um, at the risk of, 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 sort of in securing my own job, this is one of the reasons why this role, whether it's me or somebody else, is so important in community, okay? I absolutely love my job. I, 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 I take so much joy. Like, I felt like I was just off, you know, wandering the hills, finding these little nuggets and, and, and like putting them in my backpack and then coming back and sharing them all with you. I love what I get to do. I love it. And I hope that when I offer it and then when someone offers it from this position, it's a gift and it gives life. The other piece to this is what we're after when we read the scriptures is the God behind the scripture. This is so important and so fundamental that we don't forget this. When we read the Bible, what we're after is not the text in and of itself. What we're after, what we're hoping for is an encounter with the God, the living God of creation and of resurrection that reveals God's self in the scripture, but that takes the scripture up and speaks new life and new words. So take heart, friends, that God is still in the business of revealing God's self, and God has chosen to do that often and primarily through this this book. So be encouraged. That when you read this, what what we're after, what we're looking for is an encounter with the living God. And though you may not be able to, you know, work your way through a Greek lexicon, there's still great, wonderful, beautiful truth that God reveals through this book, okay? So, here's my retranslation of this passage. And if you want to, um, close your eyes. I really want you to hear this. So whatever you need to do to do that, uh, 
settle in. 1 John chapter 3, verses 4 to 10. <clears throat> Everyone who is practicing the behavior of sin is also practicing the behavior of rebellion and opposition to God and his kingdom because in this case, sin is lawlessness. You know that Jesus appeared to take away our proclivity towards rebellion and opposition towards the things of God. In him, this seed does not exist and it never takes root. No one, verse 6, who remains in Jesus rehearses the behavior of rebellion and opposition towards God. If you do rehearse the behavior of rebellion and opposition towards God, obviously you don't know God. Little children, verse 7, do not let those who have left our community deceive you. If they are rehearsing justice over and over to improve and master it like Jesus, then they're with Jesus. But if they are rehearsing rebellion and opposition to God like Satan, then the seed of Jesus has not been planted and taken root in them. Jesus appeared to destroy the work of Satan and the seed of Adam and Eve in us. Verse 9, no one who has the sprouts of the kingdom growing in their life can rehearse rebellion and opposition to God. When we receive the seed that contains within itself the germ of the future plants, it destroys our desire to practice rebellion and opposition and gives us a new desire. New things grow, old things die. This is how we know which seed has been planted and is growing. If we are rehearsing the things of God in his kingdom and have received, and received this seed from Jesus, if we are rehearsing the things of Satan, then we have the seed that all of humanity starts with. Do you remember Cain and Abel? Abel had this new seed that was an old seed. Cain, who killed Abel, had this old seed, which for him was a new seed. One seed leads to life. One seed leads to death. One seed looks like love. One seed looks like selfishness. One seed looks like Christ. One seed looks like Antichrist. Friends, as we come to this text, I think maybe the most important thing that rises up from it, for me, is this question of, have you received the seed? This is really what's important to John. If you have received this new seed from Jesus, Paul talks about it as new humanity, then it grows in our heart and our desire and our actions will be one of rehearsing the things of the kingdom. Instead of rebellion and opposition as our default, like the place from which we live, new things grow. And so I would ask this morning, have you received that seed? And, and friends, this is, this, is, this is where the reformers got it right. Faith alone that we receive by faith what Jesus has done and what he offers. Paul talks about Jesus as the second Adam, the new Adam. <clears throat> so there's something that Jesus offers that has to do with this new humanity. And this is what the gospel is about. This is what Jesus offers us. And so I want to just ask today, if you have not received that, that this is what God offers to you. This is what the cross is about. This is what resurrection is about. And for those that have said yes to Jesus, I think an important question that we ask is, what are the things that we are rehearsing 
in our life? This word practice. What are the things that we're practicing? What's the posture of our heart? What's the disposition? And what are the things that we're practicing in life? Paul says that he, he kind of talks about it in this two-person two idea that while, and this is the struggle, right? This is why this text is so hard because on the surface, John says, anyone who's in Christ doesn't sin. What John's saying is there is a new reality that forms, that, that comes into being when we say yes to Jesus. And this grows and this dies. This is the process that people call sanctification, right? The process by which we become more like Jesus. This is what maturity looks like. So as you say yes to Jesus, and this is a once decision and a daily decision, every moment, every decision, every, everything that comes before you, we choose, do we, do we water this seed or give life to this seed again? So what are the things that we're practicing? What are the things we're rehearsing? Are they the things of this seed, the one that Jesus offers, the one that, that Jesus plants, the one that grows, that's called the kingdom? That's what we should be tending to. That's the plant we should be watering. So as John gives this offering to these folks, I think it's an encouragement. I think it's a, it's a reality check in some ways, but it's an encouragement to them to pay attention to, to water, to give room to, to, to receive this seed. We're going to close this morning, not with uh, a song, but I've asked Tim uh, to come and uh, part kind of lead us through something that the church has been doing for years and years and years. It's called Lectio Divina. And uh, it's really just means the sacred reading. And uh, so he's going to come and read and kind of lead us in that. Um, ben and the band are just going to underscore that. And um, this is where my belief and my hope and my trust that the word of God is alive and active. Uh, where I hope we experience that. And so as Tim reads... Um, just kind of settle in and listen. Um, he'll prompt us along the way. Uh, and then I'll come and, and close as, as we uh, kind of finish up here. So thanks, right. Tim. Sure. All right. So I'm going to read a passage out of Ephesians. And um, I'm going to read it many, many times. And what I'm going to ask you to do is um, just sit back and close your eyes and listen to God. What is God telling you through this passage? So, um, so sit back. Relax, close your eyes, and, um, and hear from God. Hear him breathe into you. So the first question I will have you think about as I'm reading is what word comes to your mind as I'm reading this passage? What, what word is God putting in your mind to think about? So close your eyes and, and listen to the passage. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. And let me read it to you again. 
For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. I'm just going to give you a minute to just think about those verses and what one word is God placing on your heart to think about. time and um, this time I want you to think about a concept or a phrase that comes to mind as as I read this passage and what is God trying to say to me through this concept or phrase so let me read the passage to you again for he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier the dividing wall of hostility by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away from, from peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. So take some time now and think about the phrase or concept that God has placed on your heart just to think about. of final time and this time what I would like you to do is think about this community the community of Awaken and ask God what he's trying to say to you about this community so think about what he what he would like you to say about the community on his behalf so think of that as we're as I read the passage the last time for he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility, 
by setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations. His purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. Take some time now and think about what God's telling you about the community. Thank you for your word, for your scripture, which is life to us. This morning, we just want to drink it in. Uh, We want to receive it, that it might take root in our hearts and grow deep, that we might be people of peace, people who bring peace, empowered by you mission in this world. Find us online at www.awakencommunity.com or on Facebook at www.facebook.com backslash Awaken Community or on Twitter at Awaken Community. See you next time.